Uh, good morning, everyone, and <clears throat> good morning to those of you who are online. I'm happy we could sing that song. Uh, you probably know that's based on a psalm. <clears throat> Rivers of Babylon, about 3,000 years ago, the Jewish people were um, exiled then into Babylon. Their temple was destroyed. And the question is, well, what do you do when you experience that? What do you do when you've been kicked out of your land? What do you do when your temple has been destroyed? And it's not just a question what happened 3,000 years ago. It's a question also what's going on today, not just in Israel and for the Palestinians, but also for our own spiritual community as well, going through um, sort of the situation now in, in Japan where it's, uh, the government's trying to remove our charitable status as a religious organization. And again, you find yourself in that kind of reality, what is going on? You know, how should we respond to this kind of situation? So for the Jewish people 3,000 years ago, <clears throat> the temple is destroyed, you get kicked out. There's no longer any way of worshipping God by making offerings at the temple. And it's very easy to think, well, God has abandoned us, or maybe God doesn't even exist. Maybe we should just assimilate. Maybe we should just take our Babylonian citizenship and culture and just get on and be successful in Babylon. <clears throat> which, of course, is what some people did. Or we should just try to cling on to the old ways of doing things. Or we should try to reform and say, okay, the world in which we're living has changed, so that means that we also need to adapt and change. As uh, those people who believe in evolution say, evolve or, or adapt or die. And so that's what they did. They adapted. And from worshipping God in the temple, they started studying the Torah. We call it Unukei. It started 3,000 years ago. And so the whole Jewish community then, spirituality, became Bible-centered, Torah-centered, and, and drift, you know, as opposed to offering sacrifices-centered. And uh, yeah, that completely transformed everything. So also we need to think as well, what do we do? The world changes, how do we evolve, how do we adapt, how do we reinvent ourselves so we can respond to, the, to what is going on? <clears throat> I wasn't planning to say all that, but I did. <laughs> I never know what I'm going to say when I stand up here. Anyway, so <clears throat> that was that, uh, that psalm, uh, Babylon. And, you know, it's a very, uh, how do you worship God in a foreign, distant land? Okay, so what's going on? <clears throat> well, some recent events which we've been observing this past year or two. <clears throat> uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, and that was hugely shocking. That's the first time there's been a major land war in Europe for a, a long time. Then also in the Far East, you got the Chinese threat to Taiwan, but also not just to Taiwan, but also to lots of the little island countries in the Pacific and wanting to establish some kind of hegemony and control over that vast area, claiming it as their own, <clears throat> and dispossessing all the other little peoples and their islands and claiming them as their own. And then just uh, last Shabbat, I think, <coughs> Hamas's attack on Israel, which uh, Graham mentioned, and also Naomi, and then also, which is, again, you're probably aware of, I guess you would have read <coughs> about Japanese, <coughs> government decided to ask the court to, um, I 
don't know the technical legally take away the family federation's legal status and um, from what I understand still be able to exist but no longer be uh, a charity or whatever the legal situation is in Japan so you might wonder well what's going on you know it's huge shocking events you know how do we understand these things how do we make sense of these things and also how do we respond to these things ourselves <clears throat> so I know we all long for peace and uh, got professors world peace academy to father's autobiographies uh, you know global citizen for world peace and they got the universal peace federation but in reality war is inevitable as it says going back to the text divine principle <clears throat> if there were no wars or divisions in the fallen world the sovereignty of evil will continue forever and the world would never be restored <clears throat> so if you think about this um, locally in Europe uh, before the First World War there was no religious freedom anywhere on the continent of Europe apart from a few little places like Holland or Switzerland and that was about it really that was a reality if it had continued like that there would have been no foundation to receive the Messiah father never could have traveled anywhere within the con on the continent of Europe <clears throat> <clears throat> but sometimes wars are necessary. Do you think evil sovereignties, uh, do you think dictators like to give up their power voluntarily? <clears throat> it's very rare for a dictator to step down voluntarily. Usually there have to be a war to establish, uh, to change things. Not only on the continent of Europe, we had the same thing here, uh, the civil war in the 17th century, <clears throat> um, to, um, which led to de facto religious freedom. Therefore God worked his providence to restore the heavenly sovereignty by degrees. He sends prophets and saints to the fallen world to found religions and raise the level of morality. He establishes governments with higher standards of goodness, which come to oppose and destroy regimes with lower standards of goodness. It says that God establishes them. Anyway, it's human beings that do the work. God doesn't say, oh, I'm going to do this. But sometimes funny things happen. <clears throat> with higher visions of goodness, which come to oppose and destroy regimes with lower standards of goodness. To feel the providence of restoration, therefore, conflicts and wars are unavoidable. And we saw this in Europe, the First World War, <clears throat> which, um, and then the Second World War, and then the Third World War, which in Europe, Fortunately, didn't become a hot war. And as a result of these three wars, he saw the establishment or gradual establishment of freedom and democracy within the whole continent of Europe. And as a result of that, two parents were able to travel freely throughout Europe for whenever they wanted to, except for that moment of the borders are closed in Schengen. <clears throat> so when these wars are conducted by good sovereignty, to destroy an evil sovereignty, the war, good, <clears throat> they are good in that they further fulfillment of the providence of restoration. So in that sense, you know, when Germany invaded France, <clears throat> Britain had an a choice. Do we declare war on Germany or do we just remain behind uh, the channel uh, with our vast empire and our navy to protect us? Or should we actually go and sacrifice and go to war with Germany to defeat Germany 
and defend uh, France. <coughs> Britain did that. Cost a huge amount, huge amount in terms of lives lost. Millions of people lost their lives. But the result was a good, res you know, better result than was there before. Britain faced the same challenge and temptation at the beginning of the Second World War when Germany invaded Poland. What to do? Should we sit, sit it out? As a result of which the whole of the continent of Europe would be you know, dominated by fascism? Or do we go to war again? As a result of these two wars, Britain became impoverished. You wonder why Britain's so poor now, basically. Fought, sacrificed uh, its huge, vast amounts of money uh, in those wars. And uh, you know, the Americans helped. <clears throat> we had to buy all the weapons from them. And I think we only managed to pay off that debt about 20 years ago. <clears throat> so they've got good sovereignty and evil sovereignty. Well, okay, so what are good and evil sovereignties? <clears throat> well, in good sovereignty, we could say there's freedom of religion, <clears throat> the rule of law, so that means that criminals go to prison or punished and innocent people are free to carry out their business. <clears throat> There's democracy, so that uh, the government of that country is elected and represents the people of that country. <clears throat> There's property ownership, so people can own their own property, become laws of creation, develop their creativity. And a free market, so people can you know, buy and sell whatever they want to whomever they want. Of course, there's no country which is perfectly like that. <clears throat> An evil sovereignty you could say, well, there's no freedom of religion. And the result is that for most of human history in most parts of the world, there hasn't been freedom of religion. Uh, so on the continent of Europe, there was no freedom of religion uh, in some parts of Europe until the fall of communism, which is very recent. <clears throat> there's arbitrary rule, which means the local dictator or his representatives, who may be bureaucrats, they decide what happens. And so then there's no justice. We call it telephone justice in Russia. The case is heard. The judge picks up the phone and asks his superior, what verdict should I give? <laughs> in other words, it's not a question of has the law been followed or not, but what does the government want? Who does the government want to punish? <clears throat> and that's very similar to what's going on now in Japan. Instead of democracy, there's dictatorship. And instead of property ownership, the state or local authorities or whatever, they're the rulers, they, they own everything. <clears throat> and instead of a free market, you have organized criminal gangs that control the economy. And if you don't pay off that organized crime network, then they'll put you out of business. Obviously, you don't find countries that are exactly like one or the other. It's the whole thing is a spectrum. Yeah? You can compare different regimes, different countries. You can say one is closer to that side, one is closer to that side. The so whole thing is a relative thing. Everywhere you go is a mixture of the good and evil sovereignty. And it's always a great challenge how to preserve a good sovereignty, how to expand that, how to, how to stop things going backwards into corruption and criminality. <clears throat> So it's, as I said, it's a relative thing. <clears throat> so in the principle, we analyze it in terms of the Cain and Abel relationships, <clears throat> relationship at every level of society, from those between individuals to those at the level of families, communities, societies, nations, and wor the world. You find one party is the role of Abel and the other is the role of Cain. But I said they're just relative. <clears throat> one is relatively 
closer to the good sovereignty, one is relatively closer to the evil sovereignty. It's not that Cain is evil and Abel is good. Both of them are a mixture of <clears throat> original and fallen nature. <clears throat> it's the one is relative in a situation, one is relatively able, one is relatively Cain. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, his father said, how is these things decided? It's decided by love. <clears throat> Any two of you in a relationship with Cain and Abel, who loves the other more, will be in the Abel's position. You know? That's it. It's not a position in that sense. It's not something, oh, I'm able, you know, or it's not a, you know, just because I'm the leader, someone I'm able. The leaders are usually Cain, because they're usually older, the older brother. So which one loves the most? That is, and of course that changes, it varies. You know, it's a relative thing. Relative to one person, I may be Cain, relative to another, I might be Abel. These are just relative positions. <clears throat> so to define which one is Cain, which one is Abel, the one who is struck is Abel, and the one who strikes is Cain. Even if you call out rudely to someone who's brought no harm to you, you become a Cain. And so let's look at this story again, Cain and Abel. I went to the synagogue yesterday. It just so happens that the Torah piece that was for yesterday was the story of Cain and Abel. <clears throat> and the student rabbi gave a very, you know, very young lady, she gave a very mature and uh, explanation of the story of Cain and Abel, and obviously relating it to what had been going on in Israel and Palestine. <clears throat> so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, didn't actually say anything. There's no words that he said. He couldn't speak peacefully to his brother. <clears throat> While they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. <clears throat> so we think about, well, what's going on in the world today? <clears throat> this, is some, this is a little chart I drew up many years ago, actually. You say, well, who's on Abel's side? As I said, it's a relative thing. <clears throat> it's not um, good and evil, perfectly good and evil on either side. <clears throat> Relatively, say, on Abel's side, you could say, is uh, Israel. That's the first Israel. And the second Israel is the Christian world, which is most of Europe, America. <clears throat> and the third Israel uh, is South Korea. On the Cain side, we could say, is Iran, Syria, Hamas etc., <coughs> who are influenced by uh, Islamic Islamism. And then uh, second Israel, I could say, is Russia, which is also uh, historically, well, mostly Christian, but also Muslim, <coughs> and China. And uh, third Israel, I could say, is like North Korea. So you can see it's like these three. I mean, in the past, we used to talk about, you know, being, uh, <coughs> you know, Korea, Japan and America. Anyway, this is how it seems to, to line up to me today. And um, yeah, people talk about Israel. I mean, after the First World War, I forgot to mention, there were huge empires, and most of them were broken up. The Austro-Hungarian Empire. Anybody here come from the Austro-Hungarian Empire? <laughs> yeah, Austria now. Oh, it's a little country. 
but it used to control half of Central Europe. Yeah? There's a huge empire, Austria-Hungarian empire, but after the First World War, it's broken up. You've got lots of smaller countries now, in the Balkans and you know, Czech and uh, Slovakia. They're all part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire in the past. <clears throat> then, of course, the German Empire shrank. Germany became smaller. <clears throat> then the Russian Empire was broken up. And that's the first time that Ukraine appears on the map and all these other countries in Central Asia appeared on the map. <clears throat> <clears throat> and then uh, the Ottoman Empire was broken up. The Ottoman Empire was an Islamic empire centered in Istanbul, and which, uh, which ruled over most of the Middle East. Um, <clears throat> and that was also broken up. And of course, when all these empires were broken up, it was very messy, to put it mildly. New lines are drawn in Europe, new lines are drawn in Russia, new lines are drawn in the Middle East. And the people who drew those lines didn't necessarily draw them very well. This is one of the main reasons why I got all these problems now in Ukraine, because Stalin drew the lines. And he decided he was going to, you know, make sure that Ukraine and all these countries, the former Russian Empire, that none of them were homo homogeneous. So Ukraine, for example, you know, nearly half the people living in Ukraine are of Russian descent and, and language group because Stalin wanted to make sure it's always very unstable in these countries. Anyway, lines were also drawn in Europe, and as a result of that, some people weren't happy. So you've had a lot of ethnic cleansing uh, in the 20th century, especially since the fall of communism, what was the breakup of Yugoslavia, all kinds of messy stuff going on. And of course, the lines drawn with the breakup of the Ottoman Empire to create new countries, uh, Israel, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, again, straight lines drawn in the sand. And same in Africa, lots of empires there when they dissolved, again, lines were drawn, sometimes dividing tribes in, would divide into two. Half the tribes in one country, half the tribes in another country. That's the reality, the historical reality, and it's always been like that. And then the question is, okay, where do we go from here? Every country then, every people have to decide, what are we going to do? We lost the war, the people who won the war, they divided our country up and they drew lines here, there and everywhere. And, um, you know, I mean, in, in Europe after the Second World War, millions of people were refugees, not talking about Jews, millions of Germans were refugees as the border moved. Yeah? Millions of people. But, they were dispossessed, but they all settled down and got on with life, basically. Got on with life. And that's the thing, you know, you have to get on with life. You can't keep wanting to turn the clock back. You just have to settle down and say, okay, this is where we are, let's get on with life. <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, as you know, Naomi hinted, when the <clears throat> Six million Jews are supposed to have been uh, murdered. When the ones who survived from these um, camps, they came out and some of them went home. They went to their homes in Poland or in other towns and villages in Europe <clears throat> and said, well, this is my house, my home. 
can I have it back, please? But somebody's already living there. And the council, local council, local authority had, re had given all these Jewish homes and businesses <coughs> to other people. And these other people didn't want to give them back to their original owners. They were literally dispossessed. <coughs> and so I remember reading, you know, there's one... Uh, one of these camps was, was um, liberated by a Russian soldier. A Russian officer came up on a horse to speak to the Jews in this camp. And they said to him, what do we do now? We're free. So this Russian, and they, you know, this Russian officer happened to be Jewish. Soviet officer happened to be Jewish. And he said, well, don't go east to the Soviet Union. Don't go west because they don't like you. They'll just be murdering you. I don't know where you should go. The problem is they don't like us anywhere. And so, yeah, so a lot of them, they got on boats and they went to, to Palestine, where they were not welcomed by the British who were ruling it at the time. This uh, boat that uh, the Exodus that Naomi referred to in the book by Leon Uris, <coughs> it was crammed full of Jews that just come out of uh, concentration camps. And uh, my grandfather met them at the dock. My grandfather's English, he's in the Palestine police. And he said, what a terrible situation these people were in. But the British didn't want them to land. Yeah. Send them back to Cyprus. Because, you know, very difficult situation. Didn't, weren't wanted anywhere. So that's the reality. And um, what do you do? Anyway, so um, anyway, a lot of Jews have managed to settle there, in, uh, and they settled where there weren't Palestinian Arabs living. <clears throat> if you look at the photographs of Tel Aviv, um, before there were buildings there, it's just sand. So the Jews settled where there was sand, and others where nobody else is living, and they bought the land from absentee uh, landlords mostly. So what is Hamas then? Um, it's a branch of what's called the Muslim Brotherhood. This was uh, started in 1928 in Egypt to establish an Islamic state ruled by Sharia law under a calif caliphate. So the caliphate, this is like the ruler, the Muslim ruler who ruled over all Muslims. The caliphate was based in uh, Istanbul, because that was the, the latest Islamic empire, <coughs> was the one, uh, the Ottoman Empire. But when Ataturk, uh, anyway, at the end of the First World War, um, Ottoman Empire is divided up. Uh, Turkey became a secular state, and Ataturk, who was the ruler, he abolished the caliphate. So this is a huge shock for the Muslim community that the religious ruler, the office of the religious ruler, had been abolished. <clears throat> anyway, so a lot of you know, some Muslims wanted to re-establish this religious political authority, the caliphate. Anyway, so the um, Muslim Brotherhood, they uh, based in Egypt, but then they, their ideas spread all over the place, and they won power elections in Egypt in 2014, you know, during that huge disturbance that was going on there. One of their leaders, Sayed Qib, one of the group's most prominent thinkers, promoted takfirism, anyway, a doctrine that permits the stigmatization of other Muslims as infidel or apostate and of existing states as un-Islamic, and the use of extreme violence in the pursuit of the perfect Islamic society. 
And so that uh, is not just against Jews, it's against other Muslims who uh, ref- don't want to live in that kind of Islamic society. And so it's very, very religious. And Hamas is established by members of the Islamic Brotherhood in, in Gaza, in Palestine. What are the goals of Hamas? It's, people talk about it's a terrorist organization. It's not like the IRA. The IRA, they were not religious. Some of them might have been nominally Catholic, but it wasn't a religious organization, it wasn't a religious terrorist organization. It was nationalist predominantly. But anyway, Hamas is very different. A Palestinian movement, this is how it describes itself. A Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. So basically, it is, enti- it is a religious movement. They're religious fundamentalists who think that because they are doing God's will, then they have the right and authority to commit any act in order to further that cause and that aim. The end justifies the means. They're very religious people. But just like yeah, Al-Qaeda, which is, well, anyway, similar. Israel will exist and continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. There is no solution for the Palestinian problem except by jihad. Again, that's religious holy war. Initiatives proposed, initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are but a waste of time, an exercise in futility because they always require compromise. So they say, we're not doing that. We are going to do what we're going to do. The Day of Judgment will come not upon, will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. Then the Jews will hide behind the rocks and trees, and the rocks and trees will cry out, O Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. Okay. So you can see here, this is basically, it's a religious movement of fundamentalists who want to establish Islam over the whole of Palestine, Muslim brother who would want to do it over Egypt and other places, and uh, basically totalitarian. We've seen this before in Europe. We had a 140 years war between Catholics and Protestants, which is the most devastating war in the whole of European history. When you get religious fundamentalists on both sides who think they're absolutely right, they think they have the absolute truth and that everybody else is wrong and they have the right to impose their truth and their thing upon everybody else, whether they like it or not, because it's God's will. So basically what is going on here is not just politics, it's religious fundamentalism and religious extremism. And so you've got these different kind of... um, Things, yeah. On the able side, then, because there's Judaism, Christianity, unificationism, the Cain side, Islamism, which many Muslims regard as a corruption of Islam. There again, many Muslims, as we saw, were dancing in the streets. They may not have been members of Hamas, but all over the world they were dancing in the streets and celebrating uh, what happened in uh, Israel. And then Keynes side, you've got communism. Well, it's still around in the Communist Party of China. And now Russia's becoming aligned with China. And of course, there's North Korea with ideology of Juche, which is also um, not a very good place. So what did Father say about this? 
Well, this is a speech Father gave at Washington Monument in 1976. I was very lucky to be able to participate in that uh, organizing and at that rally. <clears throat> so Father said, Judaism is an elder brother's position. Christianity is in the position of the second brother. The Unification Church is in the position of the youngest brother. I remember I said this to a few Jews and Christians. They nearly fell off their chair laughing, thinking, you're Unification Church, you're like... Same you know, status as us. Well, that's how Father sees it and how Father saw it. Yeah, that's. Even though we're the young, smallest and the youngest, but it makes a difference. Yeah. So we shouldn't be worried about numbers. In the Bible, it said God told the Jewish people not to take a census, not to count out how many people there were. Yeah. There's only a time. I mean, the number of Jews in the world is it's a statistical error in terms of world population. When you look at accomplishment, it's just off the scale. About 40% of Nobel Prizes have been run by Jews. <clears throat> so, well, yeah, we're very small. Israel, the United States, and Korea, the nations where these three religions are based, must be brothers because these three nations have a common destiny representing God's side. The communist bloc, as Satan's representative, is trying to isolate and destroy the United Nations. So that was going on there in the mid-70s, and it's still going on till today. So, okay, so these three brothers should be united, Judaism, Christianity, and the Unification Church, or the Family Federation, whatever you want to call us, we should be united in heart. So how can we do that? How can we make a contribution? What can we do? <clears throat> so last night, <clears throat> Lord of the Rings was on television. I was watching it. I'm sure you remember it. Galadriel, who was the lady, I don't know, can't remember which particular elfish kingdom she was ruling. Anyway, she said to um, <clears throat> Gandalf, you know, you've got all these dwarves, which are great warriors. Why do you bring this hobbit along, the halfling, the hobbit, Bilbo? Why did you bring, put him in the group? And Gandalf's response was, Saruman, who was you know, the head of the, the wizard order, Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is, not, that is not what I have found. It is the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. Why Bilbo Baggins? Perhaps because I'm afraid, and he gives me the courage. <clears throat> So if we think about it, it's very difficult being a Jew. Why? Because as that Russian officer said, nobody likes us. How many Israeli flags have you seen flying in people's windows? None. When Russia invaded Ukraine, did you see any flags, Ukrainian flags in all the windows? Yeah. And when another disaster happened, all these flags appeared. No Israeli flags have appeared. Who does all the marching? 30,000 people marched in London yesterday, pro-Palestinian. Israel got attacked by Hamas, which is a Muslim group. What happened to synagogues and schools in London and shops? They were attacked. It's kind of weird, to be honest. You know, If there were the Christian church that was burned to the ground, in Pakistan and that sort of thing happens. 
You don't find Christians rising up and going and burning down mosques in this country. Yeah, it's really interesting. And so what do I suggest? Well, we're little people. But we make a difference. So what I can re recommend that you do is we need to make sure that Judaism, Islam, uh, Christianity, and our movement, True Parents Movement, are standing united in heart. <clears throat> so what I can encourage you to do is next Saturday or Friday evening or Saturday, go to the synagogue. Go to the synagogue. People will welcome you there. They'll be so happy that somebody who's not Jewish has come to the synagogue because they feel very isolated, very lonely, because nobody is standing up for them, nobody's speaking out for them. <clears throat> Whenever I speak out in defense of Israel, do you know what people always ask me? Are you a Jew? Every single time. It just so happens, by chance, I am. But the very fact people ask that question is that, oh, only Jews can defend Israel because it's such an evil place and it's indefensible. They feel very lonely. So, am I my brother's keeper? Hmm? Am I my brother's keeper? When Abel gets attacked, am I my brother's keeper? Am I going to go and stand by my brother and support him and encourage him? And, the, you know, our movement, we have made almost no effort to reach out to the Jews. We've got the BCLC, reach out to Christians, but the root of our faith is in Judaism. Sometimes people get annoyed with me because I bang on about the Bible. But that is our root. Abraham is our father of faith. <clears throat> and so we should, as Father said, at Washington Monument, it's so important these three brothers should be united. And the best way to be united is to make friends with people who are Jews and friends with people who are Christians. And the best way to do that is to go along to church well, they'll probably tell you you're a heretic, but go to the synagogue, and I can guarantee you they will not tell you that you're a heretic. Because the very fact that somebody turns up in support and wants to be friends with them is a bit of a surprise for them. Yeah? And they'll be so happy. So please, if we want to inherit the Judeo-Christian foundation, <coughs> God's providence, then we need to go to the synagogue. And it's not on a Sunday morning, like a church. It's on Friday evening or Saturday morning. And I really encourage you to go there. So as Mike Balcom always says, that's your homework. That's my homework to you and you. <laughs> go to the synagogue. Support our older brothers and sisters. <clears throat> as good younger brothers and sisters, <clears throat> we should do that. So thank you very much, and uh, God bless you.